Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I want to direct your attention just very briefly back to a conversation that we had. I think it was on last week's episode. You might remember um, we were discussing your cousin, Chris Grenham, and Chris, uh-huh. as I mentioned, was a very friendly guy, he came up to me in LA, and you know we were talking about other things, but the real gist of our conversation was how much he loved my sneakers that have the app, and you know basically how <laughs> I, I shouldn't listen to you, and that I'm actually cool, and, and he would side with me, and so forth. Yep. I don't know if it's a coincidence, Andrew. I don't know if you believe in sort of fate or what have you, but you'll remember <laughs> that I turned the color on the sneakers to green as sort of an, an honor uh, of Chris and his Celtics coverage and everything else. And wouldn't you know it, Andrew, on St. Patrick's Day of all days, Chris takes to Twitter to announce that he's got a brand new job working for NESN uh, up there in Boston. He's going to be covering all these different sports. It's a real huge uh, moment in his career, clearly. And uh-huh. I'm just saying, is it a coincidence that I gave him the good luck charm <laughs> with the green lights on my sneakers while you were kind of deriding him as I think like kind of a ladder climber or a butt kisser, I believe is what you said. I just think for Chris, it's clear who's helped your career more. There's no question about it. And just for the audience as well, I think this is a real lesson, Andrew. You should be coming around to my style, my sensibilities. Who knows? Maybe it could boost up your life too. You know, the second you mentioned his name, I was like, oh, God, here we go. We're going to connect the hyper-adapt laces to Chris's new job. Um, I didn't call him an ass-kisser. I said that he is smart and calculating and knew the fastest way to get on your good side would be to pretend to like your dumbass <laughs> shoes. <laughs> and um, again, great job, Chris. I'm very excited for his new job at Nesson. It's going to force me to relearn hockey and baseball through his coverage uh, it should be fun but yeah look if you want to take credit and add him to the Gulliver coaching tree be my guest okay it sounds like the Rosetta Stone of New England sports is basically what Chris is going to be for you you're going to be like uh, studying up brushing up on these lo- uh, long lost <laughs> languages that you might have remembered from your college days but here's the thing Andrew well, it's tough it- because my my first two loves were hockey and baseball like oh. when I was a kid when I was like six years old like that explains six years old to like so much. eight or nine <laughs> that explains no, no. so much Andrew god I was I was deep into hoops, but from six years old to like nine or ten, I like was living and dying with the Caps and the Orioles and HTS, which only like longtime Washington residents will know. But so I'm going to reconnect with my roots via Chris is what I'm saying. Well, so here's the thing, though, Andrew, it's not just Chris. okay? and I. I hate to make this comparison, but I almost feel like I'm in kind of this Putin mentality right now because I've been trying to wage war on you and your habits. I've been trying to get you to sign up for the Marriott Rewards programs. You know, we've argued about how do you... uh how do you cast your votes in all NBA ballots and, and MVP ballots? I've tried to tell you, you know, look more at the statistics, not by your feelings. So now I have actually, uh, you know, in true Putin form, I've gone to other people close to you and tried to sort of manipulate them. And eventually, rather than a direct war, I'm going to be fighting an indirect war with you. So <laughs> I know a proxy war, a proxy war. And so your buddy, Tim M, he reached out to me and he's been getting just daily requests basically for his uh, Western travels. So I've been giving him you know, deep itineraries of all these different national parks. And so I like to think, Andrew, even though he's sort of your best friend, sounds like from childhood, 
uh, uh-huh. that Tim M's going to be listening to this and again, siding with me against you as he's sitting there and looking at the beauty of Half Dome and Yosemite and really taking this all in. <laughs> and eventually all these people who are close to you will get you to subscribe to my beliefs. What do you think? It, there you go. Uh, I did hear that he was reaching out to you. I'm glad you guys have been in touch. I, I don't want to know anything more about your long-term plans for manipulating my brain. I feel like <laughs> already, <laughs> like Stockholm Syndrome has set in long ago. We had a 10-minute conversation about Marriott points on the last <laughs> podcast. So you're winning whatever war you're waging here. Yes. Um, I will say, though, I do want to start, I want to talk about All-NBA because you talked about trying to influence my votes. Let me just let you know, 100% honest, it kills me that you have a vote and I can't vote. It really pains me. (laughs) I mean, it deep to my core, because you know how seriously I take these things. I've taken them seriously, way too seriously for years, but now I'm on this high horse thing and I tried to play it off like I was happy about the high horse during All-Star time. You know, it's like, oh, it's just so nice where, you know, I'm at a... A publication where we don't vote on anything because you know it's kind of a conflict of interest but for whatever reason i've always loved the awards i've always loved the idea of capturing the important parts of a season of rewarding the guys who really deserve it um and now i'm just at the mercy of of people like yourself who actually are Im- imbued with the power yeah well and at some point I, I need to ask more about why it's considered improper for you to vote because it, it like it doesn't make sense. You're, there's no bias there, right? I think the, the the logic is essentially that because you're covering athletes and because it's natural, if you leave somebody off for them to you know take it personally, or if you put someone on maybe for them to treat you more favorably, that it's you know somehow uh, what what you decide, you know who you decide to grant favor to would somehow come back around and influence your coverage either directly or indirectly. Mm. I think also the idea that some of these things are tied to salaries. Uh, makes people even more uncomfortable, and I know that's why you know certain people at ESPN that's have chosen fair. not to vote, and, and others as well. To me, I I have convinced myself that I can make that mental separation, and that I'm not being influenced. Of course, but look, that's no the, one is that's more a lie we all tell ourselves, ethical right? about this than you have been, and I. That's why it's kind of hilarious that now you can't vote. Um, but no one in the world takes it more seriously than you do. And I know, so let's I'm just, just like, start there. I painted into the corner, aren't I? I mean, I really am. <laughs> yeah well it's great um but let's start there let's talk about all nba right now it's a you know maybe a month early but i figure it's it's kind of a fun we've we've seen enough of the season to have like real takes on this stuff now so take me through your picks here your unofficial picks since you're no longer part of the voting body well, the first thing is first is I, I am a little upset that you want to do it here in mid-March because we have a whole month of the season to go. This is a season-long award, Andrew, and I think we should agree to put a huge asterisk over all of this in, uh, conversation because uh, we shouldn't be handing out year-end awards before the year has ended. Now, with, okay. with that disclaimer, um, my first team is Steph Curry, James Harden, Giannis, Kevin Durant, uh, and Joel Embiid, uh, the toughest picks on those were obviously Kevin Durant uh, against Paul George for the first team, and then Joel Embiid uh, versus Nikola Mirotic for the first team. What is your first team? Oh, boy. So my first team was the same as yours, um, and Embiid over Jokic was tough. But I got to tell you, let's just start with Embiid because – Watching him Sunday against the Bucks, I mean, Giannis is the now. best. Slow down, though. What? 
you're not going to do what I don't want you to do, which is go judging somebody by their best day or their worst day, are you? Is that where we're going to start this conversation? No, we got to have the what whole I'm telling you right now out. is that, no, here's the deal. Embiid is very close to being the best player in the league, and I don't think we talk about in, him in those terms enough. I like Giannis is the best player in the league as far as I'm concerned, but if he's a 10 out of 10, Embiid is like a 9.6 out of 10. And watching him control the game on offense and kind of like the way he shuts down the paint defensively is pretty remarkable. And, and like, I, I know everybody says Embiid's great and Embiid is this, he's that, but like he should be in every MVP conversation because the Sixers are a completely different team when he's out there. And, um, and I think he's closer to being the best in the league than we've all collectively acknowledged. I'm not sure I would go that far, but he had a phenomenal game. The way I'd phrase that Sunday game was that Giannis was the best player on the court, but Embiid was the biggest ma- uh, mismatch or matchup problem on the court. And ultimately, mm-hmm. that's what won out because the gap between Embiid and how Milwaukee was trying to to stop him was greater than the options sort of at Philly's disposal to try to you know slow down and, and make life a little bit more difficult for Giannis. Embiid's incredible. The only reason to me why it's a really close uh, you know conversation between him and Jokic, it's the health factor. Jokic has played yeah. uh, more games, and he's been phenomenal. His team has won. His stats are awesome. His advanced stats are just out of this world awesome. Uh, you know, the one hangup that I have with Jokic, I think Denver's defensive rating is better when he's off the court than when he's on the court. And obviously that's not the case for Philadelphia. Their defense is clearly better when Embiid's on the court rather than when he's off. So I would give him the first team nod as long as he plays like a reasonable number of the games kind of going forward here. I'd feel pretty Down good about stretch. it. Yeah, if he yeah. were to miss, you know, another five games, then I would probably lean Jokic just on the uh, the old maxim that the greatest ability uh, is availability. How close was it for you with Kevin Durant and Paul George? And I'm not sure who else you might have. I don't think you probably had Kawhi in that conversation. Who else were you weighing on that forward spot? Um, it was Durant and, and Paul George for me. Kawhi has missed too many games to where, like, I don't think he's necessarily in the conversation for first team. Yo, it's embarrassing but, how many games Kawhi has missed. We dwell on this for sure. And you're right. We don't give Embiid enough credit. And we probably make fun of Kawhi for sitting out so much. He's missed as many games as LeBron. LeBron didn't even play for like a month and a half straight. Yeah. Well, and Kawhi has now missed so many games that it's almost like he... <laughs> I don't know. I think he might be underrated at this point because he hasn't really been a part of that Raptors team for half the year. And granted, that's overstating it. But like a lot of times I'll tune in to watch the Raptors and Kawhi is in street clothes. And it's like, okay, well, well, I'll have to wait until another night to see how they look with Kawhi. (laughs) And I I think that they might, once you get to the playoffs and he's going to be there every night, um, I don't know. I might start to think about that team differently, particularly if he's going to play 38, 40 minutes like we talked about on the last episode. So Kawhi is still really good, but I just don't put him in that conversation um, for all NBA. So what what was the team is fine. Yeah. What was the differentiation? Ooh, interesting. You have on your second team. I don't. uh, But let's get to that in a minute. What was the differentiating factor for you between KD and Paul George? Um. The differentiating factor is the same as it was with Embiid and Jokic. To me, with All-NBA, it's a little bit different than the MVP conversation because I think their narrative matters a little bit more. Team success matters a little bit more. But 
I think all NBA should just reflect the best players in basketball and where there's a close call or a tie of sorts, the tie should go to the better player. And I think that Kevin Durant is just better than Paul George. His numbers are a little bit better. It, it's gotten a little bit easier because Paul George has started to tail off over the, over the last 10 or 15 games. Um, but in general, I think if it's a tie, I would prefer to just have Durant on that first team because I think he's one of the five best players in the NBA, no matter how you're calculating it. Whereas Paul George, is, it's a little tougher to, to put him in that group. That's well said. Look, I mean, Kevin Durant is the better overall player on the better team, the clearly better team, right? And so if mm-hmm. one of those factors was different, like if Paul George, you know, if, if the Thunder had a better record than the Warriors, right? Or uh, if Paul George had been so much leaps and bounds better than Kevin this season that you could say, okay, he's now eclipsed him on sort of the ranking of the players. Um, I would be more amenable to putting Paul George on the first team. But with Kevin, to me, uh, I think he's the best overall player in basketball right now. Um, yep. I, he hasn't had the most dominant season. His impact numbers are completely off the charts. Uh, he stepped up when Steph Curry was out. They didn't have Cousins back at that point. He kind of carried them through that stretch. It wasn't always pretty, but he's been a consistent rock. And I think the perception of Kevin is like, you know, this guy who's creating problems off the court and he's holding the whole team hostage and what's he going to do? And he's moody and this, that, and the other thing. This guy is incredibly consistent, incredibly committed to the team concept that they're trying to get um, in Golden State. And he's really, really reliable, night in, night out. And I think there's been so much negativity around Kevin Durant in terms of all the stuff that I just mentioned that it's easy to forget that this guy, even though he's supposedly coasting, even though he's you know supposedly having these meltdowns with the media, I mean, he's averaging... 27, 7, and 6 this season, shooting 51% from the field, right? And he's near the top of the leaderboard in any advanced stat that you care about. The guy is an incredible basketball player. And to me, um, he's a a worthy all-NBA first-team pick. And he's also had great health, you know, notwithstanding this small ankle injury here recently. So you can't really dock him for that, too. So I thought, uh, ultimately, I felt pretty good about my first team. And I'm actually a little bit surprised that we agreed on all five. Yeah, I think Durant's impact on the Warriors is a little complicated because on the one hand, he's been the source of a lot of this chaos, but on the other hand, he really is just like insanely consistent and a source of stability through all this because no matter what has happened off the court, he's still giving you 27 to 32 points a game, seven rebounds, six assists, like crazy efficiency. And um, it really is remarkable just how stable he's been through all this um, and speaks to like his talent in general. Um, so I'm cool with putting him on the first team. I think full disclosure, you and I did have a 45-minute well, text message argument on Sunday. No, slow down, about- slow down. You, you can't even say it was we had the argument because you let me just text for 45 minutes and you stopped replying like halfway through the thing, okay? And like, <laughs> I did stop Look, <laughs> I mean, that's, first of all, that's whack behavior. I don't, I don't appreciate it. But second of all, I don't blame you at the same time. But can I just yeah. throw in a, a quick corollary here on the KD point you're making about his consistency and his stability? If uh-huh. the greatest ability is availability, the most underrated ability is stability. Okay. I mean, it's oh, so easy when guys are just always very, very good 
to lose track of them, right? Like, why do we talk about Kyrie Irving so much? Because when he's amazing, we want to talk about it. And the next night he's terrible. We want to talk about it. And then he's amazing again. And we talk about it. And he's always in that cycle. When you're Kevin mm-hmm. on the court, there's no conversation about his basketball ability anymore because he's always very, very good. You know, with very few exceptions, um, he goes out there, like you said, 27 to 32 points. You can just kind of pencil it in. He's going to give you good effort on defense. If it's a big game, he's going to ramp up his intensity. When it's the playoffs, he's going to step forward and want the ball in the critical moments, and he's going to deliver. And that's a boring story. You know, if, if you have that consistency factor, that stability factor, it doesn't make for very good radio. That's why I think it's the most underrated ability. And yeah. that's why I think he deserves a lot of love, not only in this all-NBA conversation, but also the MVP conversation too. Well, yes. And to be clear, our argument Sunday was related to the MVP conversation and where you had him in the MVP conversation. We'll get there a month from now. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But um, as far as my only reaction to what you just said is that, like, this is what I mean with Stockholm syndrome, because you can say, like, the, as, we've, as we know, the greatest ability is availability, but the most underrated ability is stability. And honestly, like, I found myself just nodding along to that, whereas I think it two sounds years smart. ago. It sounds really <laughs> smart. You're into it. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> had we had you said that when we first started recording the pod, I'd be like, "Who is this guy?" God, um, but you're the best. You know, it's what you do. <laughs> Look, I try. I love how you're teasing future arguments. Like in a month from now, we're going to be screaming at each other about MVP. But for right now, we're going to move on to the All NBA Second Team. Here's my yes. second team. Tell me how you feel. Damian okay. Lillard, one guard spot. Kyrie Irving, the other guard spot. Paul George, one forward spot. Blake Griffin, I understand, might be a controversial pick. Uh, one of the other forward spots. And then center, I think it's an easy one. Nikola Jokic, what do you think? So it's funny because you've angered Pistons Nation in the last five or six days. And here you are throwing an olive branch to Blake Griffin. But I really think this is you throwing an extra layer of shade on Kawhi and the season he has had. Um, make your case for Blake over Kawhi, because I'm not sure I can totally get there. Well, I mean, it, it basically comes down to Kawhi's team has won a lot more, but Blake mm-hmm. has played a lot more minutes, right? And so if we're saying individual award, what do I kind of value? Look, if Kawhi had played most of the season or a, a larger chunk of the season, it wouldn't have been close. He would have been my second team pick. But Blake's been a stalwart for them. Uh, everything that the you know Pistons email, I think his name was Ben, was emailing about last week. Uh, you know, in terms of Blake's impact, it's true. I mean, he's the one who's sort of you know in charge of. Uh, you know, their rise up to standings here in the last month and a half. And it's sort of a process by elimination thing. I would actually give the the spot to LeBron over Kawhi if he had played more games, but he hasn't. So Mm -hmm. I can't. Uh, His team's a losing team. So, you know, he he doesn't really have that argument either. Um, But I mean, Kawhi is going to wind up playing like 60 games this season. I mean, come on, man. Like that's, that's three, that's three quarters of the season. And, And the impact that a player can make in that other quarter on his team is substantial. I used the same logic last year to keep Steph Curry off my all NBA teams. People got really upset about that, but I value, uh, you know, showing up every single day, contributing to wins every single day. And that's not Kawhi's specialty. So sort of by default, uh, I'm putting in Blake Griffin. Okay. 
Um, I'm I'm not with you. I respect your commitment to um, honoring your own basketball principles with some of these voting decisions. And and I don't mean that sarcastically. I think it's cool that you use this as a way to kind of like reflect what you believe about the game. And as far as all NBA, though. I should do a better job. I mean, Blake's also averaging 25, 8, and 5. So it's not like he's got LaMarcus Aldridge numbers. He's got big numbers. He's been efficient. He's been shooting almost league average on seven attempts from threes. That's a big deal. If they didn't have him, they would be really, really bad. I mean, there's there's no no question about that. So I think he's got a case uh, uh, to be in this mix. I'm assuming you have him at least third team, right? Yeah, Blake is on my third team. And Thinking about it and thinking about how important he has been to Detroit, like he does have a case for the second team over Kawhi. The flip side is like Kawhi is not, it's not like he's going to play 40 games. Like 60 games is still a sizable chunk of the season. And some of the maintenance could pay off in the playoffs. Um, And as far as like, Again, I just kind of default to the all-NBA process should reward the best players, and Kawhi is better than Blake. And and the Raptors have been a better team than the Pistons. Um, Sunday night's Pistons-Raptors game notwithstanding. And so, I you know, I still have Kawhi on the second team. Um, but you're right that Blake has a case, and you're right that Kawhi missing so, 25% of the season should matter. Let me ask you this, though. If that's your criteria, shouldn't you go LeBron? Because LeBron's definitely a better player than Kawhi. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. They've played a similar amount of time. Uh, his team is definitely worse. But if we're only rewarding the best players and LeBron's going to wind up playing 60 games or something close to it unless they completely shut him down, shouldn't yeah. LeBron get that all NBA second team spot? Yeah. See, that's where you start to get into trouble. And and that's where at least that's where I start to get into trouble because it's tough to balance. I think like last year I ran into the same thing where it's like, all right, so Steph is better than Damian Lillard, but Lillard had been there all year long. Steph had missed a sizable chunk of games. And eventually you kind of just like you have to recognize like one outstanding season. And in LeBron's case, I feel like you kind of have to recognize one really weird season and where like, look, if all things are equal and we're doing this in a vacuum, obviously he's at least second team and has a good argument to be on the first team. But like, it's just been really strange. To be honest with you, it feels weird putting him even on the third team because of the way he's impacted that team in all, all kinds of ways, on and off the floor. Um, but I don't feel bad relegating him to third team, despite how talented he is generally. So I, that's, I kind of ran into that same logical loop that I just kind of put to you. And that's why I defaulted to Blake, right? Because you've, you've got LeBron with a bad team record and a bad injury record, and you've got Kawhi with a good team record, but a bad injury record. And then you've got Blake who's like, okay, he's got a decent team record, but he's had, you know, great health. And and that's kind of why I just solved that riddle by, you know, leaning on the health side of it. It is funny to think about though. Imagine if LeBron had been injured like the first month of the season, and then he had had the stretch of play that he had in like November and December here the last month or two. Don't you think people would be campaigning for him as a first team selection? So the recency bias thing is a real deal. And that's why I don't think people should leave LeBron off completely. Uh, if there was a stronger, uh, you know, set of contenders this year, I think you know LeBron and Kawhi's like level of of games missed would cause me to like snub them entirely. But when I was mm-hmm. going through this process, I was having a hard time even filling out three full teams 
given uh, you know some of the other candidates who I just didn't think had great seasons or you know you know that strong of like overall cases. Um, so yeah. we should probably get to that third team. Well, and that's why the LeBron question isn't quite as dramatic as it could have been in other years. Like there aren't that many other forwards who have a really compelling case. And um, and it's funny. I've thought about that six-week stretch in the middle of the season with LeBron a number of times over the last week or two because we're starting to ask, like, is LeBron over the hill? Not over the hill. Those, no one's using those words. But are, are we beginning to see LeBron really start to decline here? And I think you can make a really good case that we have been and that he's played an insane amount of minutes at this point in his career. And it's only natural that he's going to start – to decline and show signs of aging for the first time in the last 16 years. Um, having said that, though, I still don't think he's ever been the same after that groin injury. And I think after some rest this year and this this offseason, that is, I think he's going to come back and be incredible again for one more year next season. Um, just because, like, that player we saw in November and December was incredible and, and was as good as LeBron had been over the last couple of years. And so I think if, if we want to talk about decline, like 2014 and 15, he became a little bit of a different player than he had been through some of those heat seasons. Um, but he was still playing at a really, really high level for like the first 50% of this season. And then the injury happened and everything has kind of gone sideways from there. But um, I don't think he's going to be getting blocked by Mario Hazonia for like six months next season. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It really would redefine our understanding of falling off a cliff if LeBron goes from like 50 plus against the Warriors in the finals to like can't get enough lift to shoot over the top of Mario Hazonia <laughs> uh, in a meaningless March game in the span of like what, you know, 10 months. I mean, that would be right. pretty mind blowing. And I actually am with you. I think he's going to be in a better spot next fall. I think the real question for him going into next season is can he maintain good health the whole season long, right? Like I could easily yeah. see him coming back in looking great, playing amazing for three months, but does he start to get some of these little uh, nicks and bruises that have kind of held back a guy like Chris Paul or that seemed to catch up with Kobe Bryant late in his career? I mean, that's the real question that we're going to have to be looking with LeBron. Like how do you maintain his minutes and his workload, uh, you know, going into next year? Because he's probably reaching the point here where he shouldn't be playing the level of minutes that he's played these last couple of years. Like there's going to need to be some scaling there if you want him healthy, not only for the full season, but like kind of being ready to go uh, into the playoffs. And frankly, I'm not sure the Lakers are going to be in position to give him that kid glove treatment, are they? I mean, they're going to be most likely, you know, straining for a playoff spot again next season. And, and that's really going to be a, you know, a tension point. In terms no of my question. third team, you know, speaking of LeBron, he's on there. I have Kawhi Leonard on my third team. I have Rudy Gobert as my third team center. I have Russell yep. Westbrook as my third team uh, first guard. And my second guard was the toughest call of all of them. Um, <laughs> I wound up giving it to Beal. Uh, and I hopefully it's not a, a homer pick to, to hand one to you. Um, yeah. He's got awesome numbers, You know, pretty good impact. The team sucks, clearly. Uh, he, I also think he's playing too many minutes, so his stats are inflated a little bit uh, because of that. Uh, there's some emptiness there that I don't think Wizards fans maybe want to admit, you know, given how bad that team is. Um, but when you're comparing him to guys like Kemba, I think he's got a strong case against Kemba. Lowry's missed a ton of time. 
a bunch of the other no, guards Lowry's like Chris. not in the conversation. <laughs> well, his advanced stats are awesome. Uh, he yeah, should be in the no. conversation. Uh, Chris okay, Paul has whatever. missed a ton of time. I know you, you don't care about like actual facts and, and quality contributions. No, you're just looking at, I mean, look, you're looking at points Lowry, per game because he only has 14 points, like so he's RPM having a bad season. Hall of Famer, but let's just chill as far as putting him in the all NBA conversation. I think he has gotten the benefit of the doubt for three or four years, but he, as far as the eye test is concerned, I'm sorry, he leaves something to be desired if we're talking about the 15 best players in basketball. Well, so does Bradley Beal. I mean, he's the last guy picked on the all-star team, so it's not, I mean, he's getting yeah. picked after Vucevic, so like we're, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. I would <laughs> rather have Chris Paul, but he missed, you know, two months of the season. I'd rather have a lot of other guys. I mean, you can make uh-huh. a case for Clay Thompson, maybe, uh, yes. you know, in this spot, he's been super important for them. And I think his value has shown through because Golden State's bench has been so rough this year that like when they didn't have Clay, it was just like an absolute dumpster fire. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, who's doing more for their team? You, you can make a pretty strong argument that, you know, Beal has had to carry a much stronger load there. So I don't know. What did you do in that last spot? Or or did you have Westbrook, well, first of all? Um, it's funny. I did have Westbrook. I had Gobert. So we're basically in agreement on all of these except that i had Kawhi second team and blake third team and i feel bad because i've completely buried the lead the whole reason i wanted to do this exercise is because i am fascinated by that final guard spot because no matter who we choose for that final guard because i think it really comes down to three people it's beal it's clay or it's kemba and one of those guys is going to get chosen as a, as the third team all nba guard and then be supermax eligible this summer and it's going to make things weird with their teams because the hornets should not give kemba the supermax the wizards are already giving beal the supermax and then the warriors like i don't know i mean if clay is supermax eligible i don't think that they would turn around and actually give it to him do you um, probably not unless Katie leaves and they just kind of do it as like a, a goodwill gesture. He gave a little bit back on his last deal. So maybe it would be a makeup call there. Uh, yeah. I do have a, I have a solution for you here though, because it sounds like your argument is it's not in the best interest of these three teams to actually have their guy make the squad. So what if yeah. Adam Silver steps in just like he did during all-star game and just give it to Dwayne Wade, give him an honorary <laughs> all NBA third team to add to his, uh, to add to his portfolio of accomplishments, and then they can save the Warriors, uh, the Wizards, and the Hornets the money that they need to be he saved. He might have to, all right? That would be in the best interest of the league so that at least the NBA can save face a little bit here so the Supermax era doesn't look even dumber than it already has over the last two years. Um, I have one no, other idea, wrinkle, that just came to me. Could Ben Simmons somehow sneak into this and kind of crash the party? Ooh, Maybe. He actually has a pretty good case um, because you look at the baseline in Philadelphia, obviously a lot of it is Embiid and they are in a completely different tier when Embiid is out there and when you take him off the floor, the Sixers are, I don't want to say ordinary, but they're like only slightly above average when it's just Simmons and Jimmy Butler and some of the other guys there. Um, But Simmons, after starting slow for the first like month and a half of the season, has been really, really solid um, and and has been pretty impressive because I remember watching him in like November 
being like, all right, so did this guy improve at all? And uh, and over the course of this season, I've, I've had some nights where I'm like, all right, so Simmons is going to be really, really good. So I, I could see putting him in that conversation. I just think Beal's numbers are going to be really tough to argue with by the time you get to the end here. And um, I don't know. I... I, first of all, I admitted on the last podcast that I have not watched the Wizards over the past month, so I don't want to speak with too much authority here. I'm going to have to watch more Wizards games before I make this decision. I can tell you as someone who has watched Beal for the last for his entire career and for the first six months of the season, um, there's something to the idea that those are empty numbers and that Beal is not impacting winning as much as you as much as another guy would if he were averaging 38 and 7 or whatever Beal has been putting up and uh and I I think that has to be factored into the equation and I and I also sort of again look at like if you're asking who's the better basketball player between Beal and Clay Thompson I think it's still Clay and Clay's defense is a huge part of that but it's a tough call. I don't know. Yeah, and it's also just hard to gauge like who will the voters default to, right? Because I do think winning winds up being a tiebreaker for a lot of people in this situation. So then that would make you think, okay, Clay will get it. I mean, he is averaging, you know, twenty-two points per game. He's shooting forty percent from three. Like those kinds of numbers, especially when you're on a really good team, uh, you know, tend to get you in. But uh, Beal's also been getting a lot of buzz for this thing. I don't know if he's trying to do it or, or people it's are just weird. talking about it and they're like wringing their hands because they're worried about how much money it's going to cost them and, and it's probably going to blow their team up, right? Like you can't pay both Beal and Wall that much money and even really have a real team. So yeah. maybe that's why he's kind of getting under this spotlight a little bit. But I think well, if I were you, I would be rooting for Beal to get snubbed really hard. And it's a little strange to me. It's become a rallying cry among Wizards fans to push for Beal to get this all-NBA nod. And it would, by the way, be very, very Wizards to not shut Beal down and tank, which was probably the most prudent course of action back at the beginning of February. Yeah, not probably. It it was. It was (laughs) clearly the most prudent course of action. It was. And it was a complicated thing to try and push for politically, so I understand why they maybe didn't go that route, um, but still, to not shut him down and then have him make an all-NBA team down the stretch, make himself super max eligible, not give him the contract, and wreck your relationship with Bradley Beal, it just it d- definitely seems like that's where things are headed. I don't understand why Wizards fans are pushing for him to, to make all-NBA. It would be kind of like a little bit embarrassing to lose... 45 or 50 games and make all NBA. Um, but look, Beal is great individually. I just, I think Clay is every bit as good and every bit as deserving. And um, I haven't made a call yet. So this is like a bad, boring take. But uh, I, I am fascinated by that last spot. And I think no matter who you choose, it's going to put their team in a really strange position come July. You should not apologize for not making a, a call here because there is quite a bit of the season left. Um, mm-hmm. It's very, very close. There's lots of good candidates, and somebody could separate here over the next couple of weeks. And there's no, I mean, whether some guy gets shut down, rested for the playoffs, whatever it might be, that could kind of influence it. I think it's that close. One guy who we did not mention at all, and I'm surprised you didn't want to throw him on here, given your criteria of sort of best players, is Anthony Davis. You didn't feel any need to put Anthony Davis into one of your spots. 
No, it already feels weird enough um, celebrating LeBron's season, putting him third team. <laughs> Anthony Davis, I, I'm sorry, like I can't get there. I looked at his numbers the other night. Like, it's so crazy that he is still playing and that all of that is just continuing to happen in New Orleans. He's playing his 20 minutes a night, putting up like 15 points and eight boards. Like, it's it's bizarre to me. So no, he is not all NBA. And Rudy Gobert... Not an all-star, um, quite a melodrama back in February, but like this is what the all-NBA team is for. And I think this is where you recognize like a guy who gives them kind of a built-in 48-win floor. And um, so credit to Rudy, you know? Yeah, I'm actually surprised, impressed, and, and thrilled, frankly, you didn't put Anthony Davis on your team. I mean, to me, the number one criteria of being all NBA is you have to play in the NBA, and Anthony Davis is not consistently <laughs> doing that. So He's therefore, in some weird purgatory right now. God yeah. knows, I don't know how you describe what's happening in New Orleans. I think his behavior this season was disqualifying, like period. You know, I think okay. that he should, I don't think anyone should vote for him. I don't think just not only you should leave him off your ballot, I think everyone should all voters should take a pledge to snub Anthony Davis to send him a message about how you know superstar level players should play. In terms of Gobert, I'm a little bit surprised you didn't make any noise for Towns. You give Towns any looks or no? Um, no, because I think Gobert's team is so much more successful. And granted, that's not all Rudy Gobert, but um, until Towns is actually like he's obviously one of the most gifted offensive players in the league but like until it translates to at least like 42 or 43 wins i'm gonna have trouble getting too excited about what he's doing like i I feel like we've hit that point in his career where like everyone knows he's good he he and devin booker are kind of in the same zone where like these guys are clearly obscenely gifted but until you start winning like we gotta kind of chill on the hype a little bit yeah, I mean, he's definitely better than Devin Booker, but your point's taken. Uh, there's a lot of similarities, frankly, with him and Bradley Beal, if you want to be honest, but maybe we should we should yeah. skip that one no, so it doesn't get too, per- too personal for you. <laughs> um, I do think Gobert's defense impacts winning more than Towns' offense impacts winning, and yes. that's borne out that's again this season. So therefore, he, he should get that third-team spot. In, in terms of your snubs, anybody who you felt bad about? I, I didn't feel great about leaving Simmons off. Um but, you know, past that, I was surprised, frankly. There's so many injuries for the main guys. Oladipo is another player I didn't mention earlier. He would have been in the mix um, if yep. he had enjoyed better health. Uh, probably would have knocked Beal to the sort of snubs category. Uh, anybody Did else you, you were looking at? DeRozan any thought? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, definitely not. And, you know, that's one of the benefits of that trade is that we don't have to, like, prop him up and say he deserves all this credit for Toronto's success when yeah. know, that's really not what's happening. I mean, you look at the on-offs in San Antonio, they're basically identical when DeRozan plays or when he doesn't play. The most deserving spur for all NBA would be LaMarcus Aldridge, and I didn't even look at him that seriously. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm in agreement pretty much across the board. Um, let's keep it moving, Ben. Uh, but first... Today's show is brought to us by Quip, new sponsor here. And Ben, one of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth. Yet most of us don't do it properly. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. It was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and even enjoyable. So Ben, tell me a little bit more about Quip. 
I mean, Quip is so cool. I honestly want to get three of them and just like use them simultaneously, just overwhelm and shock and awe strategy towards my teeth and, <laughs> and the tartar and all the other buildup that gets in there. It is so much fun to use, Andrew. It makes the one of the worst parts of the day you know, that much more, uh, better. You know, you always hear people say it's so fun to listen to podcasts while you're doing dishes. It's so fun to use a Quip toothbrush while you're brushing your teeth. It's just great. Uh, people brush too hard, and some electric toothbrushes are simply too abrasive. But a built-in two-minute uh, timer pulses every 30 seconds on your Quip, so it will remind you to switch sides. It's going to help guide a full and even clean throughout your mouth. And guess what? Up to 90% of us don't brush for a full two minutes or don't even clean evenly. It's so easy to just kind of take shortcuts with your, with your toothbrushing, Andrew. I see it all the time from people. Quip makes mm -hmm. sure, just like a Greg Popovich type coach who's like looking out for your best interests, Quip is there to make sure you know what you're doing with your teeth. There you go. You know, I didn't have a timer with me until I got my quip. And now I realize that two minutes should be the baseline, but it hasn't always been the baseline. And that's why I love quip. And they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash floor right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash floor, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash floor. Go check it out. There's a better way to brush. Getquip.com slash floor. All right. Let's keep it moving. One bit of news I wanted to hit is the Malcolm Brogdon injury. We got a question from Alex who says... What will the Bucks look like without Malcolm Brogdon for the next six to eight weeks? And who do you see taking a step up on replacing his minutes? P.S. Team Hilton is a perfectly respectable place to be, and I won't stand for the slander. Huh. Uh, so respond clearly, to any part of that question. Yeah, I mean, clearly not a Marriott or a sports writer. You know, I mean, he's obviously <laughs> in some other industry. I mean, that's that is completely anathema to anyone who's doing what we do, Andrew. Um the Brogdon injury was something that we got blamed for repeatedly in the emails over the weekend. If I made Chris Grenham's life and, and his next step into his career that much easier, Andrew, I, I pretty much <laughs> jinxed, you know, the opposite karmic effect happened in the Milwaukee Bucks because I was going on and on about how they'd have such great health and, you know, they're just one ankle injury away from looking completely different. And uh -huh. uh, sure enough, you know, within a couple of days, you know, Brogdon goes down and it, it seems like it's fairly serious here. You know, he's going to be out for... Uh, an extended stretch. It could compromise how well he plays into the playoffs. You hate to see that, obviously, for him. I, I believe he's coming up as a free agent as well. Uh, I guess I care less about the rotation impacts in Milwaukee than I care about the impact for him. Because to me, if you're looking at some of these teams that just don't have a point guard, I mean, Phoenix Suns, Chicago Bulls, like their options are, do you go out and draft John Morant, basically the only guy who's going to be in that mix to sort of mm -hmm. take your keys? Or... Do you try to compete for guys who you're not going to be able to get, like a Kemba Walker, or do you try to find sort of a placeholder starting point guard, and that could be a player like Malcolm Brogdon? To me, he could have played himself into a pretty nice contract if he was full strength, 100%, and Milwaukee went on a deep playoff run, and now that's up in the air. That's a question mark, and I think for a guy who's done everything right in Milwaukee, 
Um, I guess I'm just wishing for a speedy recovery there so he can go out and get paid because I think there's going to be some teams that would want to come after him, view him as an upgrade over their current pers- personnel at point guard. Obviously, he's going to be a below average starter if that's what it comes to. Uh, but yeah. I think he could help some teams. And uh, this is just a tough go. Yeah, that's interesting. I think he's a lot more valuable in Milwaukee as that fifth guy who makes their starting lineup kind of invulnerable. There's no real weakness there than he would be as like the third guy on a team that needs a point guard. Because I think that's yeah, but a if you're, where he's going to end up disappointing people. Right. But if you're Milwaukee, can you afford to pay him, right? I mean, isn't he potentially right. one of these odd men out? And that's sort of what I was thinking. Like if Milwaukee is wait, willing to pay him as a fifth guy, but somebody else comes along and says, we're going to pay you as a third guy, that's a real choice if you're Brogdon, right? Yeah. Uh, no, it, it is a real choice. And, um, and I think he is the guy who... Once they paid Bledsoe and you kind of assume they're going to max out Middleton, Brogdon's the guy where you look at him and say, all right, so are they going to be able to get him on a discount? Like, what's he willing to take? What's the market going to be? And it's a good point. This injury could affect it. I'm not sure how much it will actually change anything because I think there are still teams out there who are going to be able to talk themselves into Brogdon. Um, good it point. does well, change so things. It- for the Bucks. Yeah, if you're the Bucks front office, though, do you show up to all of his medical appointments and show him the support and hope that it like builds up enough, uh, you know, good emotions that you can kind of get him on a cheaper deal in the <laughs> I summer? I don't know. I, I really, all I want to say here, and the reason I included it is because I watched the Bucks Sixers game on Sunday and was pretty freaked out by the state of the Bucks right now, because you take Brogdon off the court, that means you have to have Miritich out there, and look, I. I turn into something of a little league parent when I'm watching Giannis and Giannis on Sunday. I, I think you said it when we were texting back and forth. Like you said, look, he looks like 1987 Michael Jordan. He is so much fun to watch right now because I, the best part of that Bucks Sixers game was how badly Giannis wanted to win and how aggressive he was coming out of halftime, just going at the jugular of the like, Embiid and everyone else on Philly. I wanted him to sprain his other ankle so he would ramp it up another notch. I mean, when <laughs> he tightened awesome. his when he tightened his sneaker, it was like I'm gonna squeeze the life out of my foot and then just run around like you know like a crazy man. And he he did. He yeah. stepped it up. He was better Ed, after look, the injury. We've talked about it. He's played most of the season that way. That's he's been in kill mode since October, and it shows. It's one of the reasons Milwaukee has the best record of the league, and Giannis is great. Everyone outside of Giannis on Milwaukee freaks me out right now because Middleton's lack of athleticism is, um, I don't know, like you watch him against guys like Ben Simmons, guys like Embiid, and you're just like, oh, like you you kind of look like you're pushing 30 right now. He, he had a, a play in the second quarter, I believe, where like he barely dunked. And um, Middleton is supposed to be sort of like their springy swingman, and he just isn't that guy. And then Miritich, Brooke Lopez was a total mess against Embiid. He hasn't been hitting threes lately. And so I don't want to overreact to the loss to the Sixers. This, that's not what this is about because the Sixers got hot shooting and they're a team where like if the shots are falling, they're going to be really hard to beat no matter who they're playing. Um, but I think the general red flag that I would like to raise here is that Everyone in that Bucks rotation just isn't very athletic and doesn't put a ton of pressure on the defense. 
And, uh, and that's, that's a concern, you know, that's where like the comparisons to the Hawks or the 2008 Cavs start to make a little bit more sense because outside Giannis, there's just not a lot of guys who are going to scare people come playoff time. Well, you know, I love my guy, Chris Middleton, money, Middleton, you know, uh, cash, Chris, whatever you want to call him. Uh, it is a little bit of a red flag that he has a contest with, uh, him and Eric Bledsoe to see who can get more dunks in the seasons. Like, come on, <laughs> totally, Chris, like, come on, man. Like you gotta be better than that. Um, I thought Sunday's game said more about the Sixers than it said about the Bucks. I thought that, that the Sixers came out like a team that felt like they needed to make a statement after not faring very well against high kind of high profile teams all season long. I mean, they're on the verge of being swept by Boston and and, and so on. Uh you know, yeah. yes, they'd had the big win over Golden State, but I think they were trying to make a statement and they made one. I mean, that was uh an A or an A plus effort from them. They got contributions from all five of their starters, either efficient scoring or big numbers. Uh, Simmons did a good job not not backing down from the challenge. Um, you know, even though I mean, Giannis was like a banshee out there, and Simmons did mm-hmm. a good job of kind of keeping it together and, and helping bring it home. Butler was very solid late in the game, and then Embiid was spectacular and A+. Uh, I do think, though, that was pretty close to Philly's ceiling, right? And that was like a C yes. performance from Milwaukee. We've seen Milwaukee play a lot better with a lot more verve, a lot more team orientation. And so uh, while I give Philadelphia some credit for just you know being more ready and, and being more focused and more into it, uh, I wouldn't overreact from Milwaukee's side. What did kill me, though, a little bit uh, was the Lopez factor because he was not only getting beat physically by Embiid, which you expect, but there were uh-huh. some mental errors and decisions that really bugged me. And it's like when you're already slow, when you're already, uh, you know, kind of compromised in certain ways physically in terms of what you can do, you have to be making good reads, smart decisions. And there was that one play late in the game where, you know, Simmons is driving on Giannis in the paint and like no disrespect to Simmons, but number one, he's not really trying to shoot it when he's going to the basket most of the time. And number two, Giannis has got him, right? Like if yeah. Simmons wins that battle one-on-one, congratulations you tip your hat to him whatever he wants to do he does it instead Lopez is helping all the way from the corner you know diving down winds up showing up super late doesn't really impact the play and then Simmons makes the easy read he's staring right at Embiid in the corner and instead of closing out hard and smart and kind of daring Embiid to to hit that three-pointer which Embiid still loves to shoot three-pointers way more than he can actually make them he yeah. like stumbles and bumbles and knocks him beat over and gives him the free free throws. It's like, come on, man, you've got to do better than that. I understand we're not going to be able to make you faster before the playoffs come. Like that's just an impossibility, but you've got to play smarter. You know, you went to Stanford. Come on, man. Well, and here's the thing with Brooke Lopez and Brooke Lopez, by the way, is one of the best dudes in the NBA. He's done a great job improving his game and evolving to fit the modern game and, I think for that reason is one of the better stories in the NBA. But um, when I say they're going to have trouble playing him in the playoffs, like part of it is he's slow enough so that good players become twice as confident when he's guarding them. And you saw him with Embiid yesterday. Like he was guarding Embiid fairly closely and just was nowhere near close to actually bothering him and actually making him uncomfortable. And that's where you start to wonder about the athleticism because that's true up and down the roster with Milwaukee. And even Eric Bledsoe, who is like a great athlete, and um, I, but I don't even think that he's the same athlete he was three or four years ago. 
and it just it's something to watch it just it's something that jumped out at me and hopefully it's not a huge deal but like Miritich for instance is another guy where like he hasn't really hit shots since he's been in Milwaukee his defense has not been what it was a year ago during that Pelicans run and if he's not going to be able to guard and he's not hitting shots, then, like, I don't know how much he's really giving the Bucks. And that's where, like, the DJ Wilson campaign really does start to matter because if if Lopez is going to be that slow and Miritich isn't going to be able to guard, like, you need somebody out there who can actually put some pressure on people defensively. And um, Giannis can't do it all by himself. Yeah, I mean, what you're describing is going to wind up with Giannis guarding Embiid for long stretches of a series. And yeah. that's a heavy lift, uh, a tough ask. And you really want to avoid that if at all possible. I mean, Philly also shot the lights out. I think we should be mentioning that. We shouldn't be overreacting to this game, which I think was your point a couple of minutes ago. But if I was Elton Brand, I'd be feeling a lot better after watching my team play like that in such a big showcase game on the road, taking it to Milwaukee, no fear, kind of dictating the play having yeah. everybody contribute, all five of those starters, like I mentioned, really you know, chipping in, in in positive ways, I'd be feeling a lot better after watching that game than I would have been uh, before watching that game. For sure. Well, and that's the blueprint for Philly. Like They're going to need J.J. Redick to play well in the playoffs to have a real shot at the finals, and J.J. Redick played great on Sunday. And then they're going to need Jimmy Butler to be that closer, and he was able to do that on Sunday. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to have athletes who are going to make other teams uncomfortable, and that's what Philly did to the Bucks. So a- as far as the Milwaukee side of it, I'm not overreacting to that one particular loss. It's just the way their players look out there where I'm like, this does not look like the juggernaut one seed that you would hope yeah. to see. And we buried the lead here, too. Another guy who is Milwaukee's X-Factor before all of the front court guys you mentioned, it's Bledsoe. He has got to be a much more impactful player. I think I'm looking at the box score right now. He was a minus 17 in 33 minutes, five for 14. I mean, that's what they got from him in the Boston series. That's why they went home in the Boston series, right? So they've paid him. They need him to be that second athlete alongside Giannis, pressuring defense, getting into the paint, getting to the free throw line, um, and kind of keeping, you know, forcing teams to be balanced and, and also, you know, taking care of business. If Giannis has to be off the court, um, he just didn't do any of those things. He got outplayed again. Um, if there's anything to be a little bit nervous about, he would be near the top of my list because yeah. you want to trust him. He's had a great season, but he's also got to prove it here. And, you know, we've seen some of these players that we've gotten on in the past about, okay, they're one guy in March or they're one guy in December and they're a different guy in May. And Bledsoe's got no track record in the postseason to speak of. Yeah, well, and he's the guy who can provide some of that explosiveness next to Giannis um, on both ends. So, now that's a good a good player to highlight. Um, but anyways, moving on, Ben says your points are well taken on the Pistons in the last episode. But you could you at least have a little bit more tact? That was really embarrassing and just very <laughs> dickish on your part. I'm one of the fans who actually watches games, and I've stomached the last few seasons of Pistons basketball, which has not been a happy existence. I'm sorry I was encouraged by their recent play. I didn't realize you didn't have any time for any storyline outside the top 10 teams. But if I can force myself to watch 10 years of Pistons basketball, I can handle the words of a blue bubble gang, West Coast candy ass, like (laughs) you, Ben Golliver. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> what do you have to say for yourself? I feel like no, that, that was, was, by the way, that was the same guy who at, who requested some Pistons takes in the last podcast. Look, heaters from Ben, there's no question. I mean, I think a lot of those digs may be a little below the belt shot, but they landed, you know, so congratulations to him. We, I mean, we, we also had to edit out some like profane Giannis hate. Uh, so Giannis took some strays in that email, but continue. Well, I mean, the first things first is I think the first five words of his email were your points are well taken. The last, you know, 495 words of the email were kind of like <laughs> slandered towards me. And so I'm just going to choose to focus on the first five words, Andrew. Um, uh-huh. I was flat. I was actually flattered and impressed by the number of Pistons fans who, you know, came out to stand up for their team and say, hey, look, you should talk about us and, you know, give us the credit and don't just focus on the top teams. I can hear what they're saying. Uh, they want a little bit of love. They want some recognition. It's been a long time coming for that team. And um, I also think, though, they're trying to talk themselves into it a little bit, Andrew. That worries me. That makes me nervous. And it also is a little bit frightening how much they think um, I can help the Pistons cause. Like if just just me, Andrew, if I talk well about the Pistons, if I say Reggie Jackson, you can trust him now, and Andre Drummond, he he should be in this All MVP uh, NBA conversation. We were snubbing him earlier. That like somehow that's going to make up for like ten years of uh, depressing, futile coaching turnover and and GM changes and all the rest. Like I wish I was that powerful. Um, but it doesn't really work like that. And ultimately, yeah. I think I was calling it like I see it. Um, and I appreciate you always calling it like you see it. It's one of the things that I it's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast in the first place is because you can be a little bit mean and a little bit dickish. And you're not going to sit here and just say, oh, yeah, we got hats off to the Pistons, you know. Um, however, <laughs> I do think we should at least acknowledge that the Pistons now go seven or eight deep with players who are actually solid and not depressing, which is a step in the right direction. And you were like almost there on the last podcast, but you had to kind of like pepper in some of your captain hard ass, your, your brand. And, um, and I, I think the Pistons de- deserve a little bit more credit than that. Look, I'm not going to blame the Pistons for being in the part of the conference or the part of the league that I like the least. And I think that you've just got to understand this Ben Pistons fan, the other guys who are kind of getting on me. You're never going to get respect from me as a six, seven or eight seed in the Eastern Conference. Like I watched the Brooklyn Nets uh, in person against the L.A. Clippers last night. Like That team is just not very good. Uh, period. They don't yeah. have that much talent. They've got some fun players on the court. I understand why it would be a lot more fun to watch that team than who they were two years ago. They got absolutely smacked uh, by the Utah Jazz the night before. They come in and get a huge lead on the Clippers, like 19 points, but there was never any doubt in my mind that the Clippers were going to come back and win that game. They almost blew it, uh, giving up a 10-0 run in the last minute because they took their eye off the ball and they didn't really care and they probably underestimated their quality of their opponent. But it's hard Uh to blame them for doing that because Brooklyn's just not that good. They're a 500 team in the Eastern Conference where if you had to play a balanced schedule, you would definitely be a below 500 team. And the same thing goes, by the way, for the Detroit Pistons. If they had to play a balanced schedule, they would be a losing team. And it's hard to get excited about a losing team whose best players are all already in their primes or post-prime, right? Like how much more is Andre Drummond going to improve from here two years from now? Reggie Jackson's not going to improve. Blake Griffin is not going to improve. He had an incredible season. We should give Blake Griffin full credit for his work this year, as I did with the uh, NBA second team nod earlier. 
But if yeah. you're pinning your hopes on trying to become a contender in the next couple of years and really getting excited about your basketball team around Blake Griffin, I'm sorry, yeah. that's silly. And if you're a fan and you just want something to go, you know, you want to have a good time on a Friday night and go watch him play, go have fun without him. You don't need my validation for to do that, right? Go that's down true. to the Little Caesars Arena, have some Little Caesars pizza, drink a huge Coke, you know, and and go home. Like that's not that hard, but. <laughs> You know, Drink to expect a huge us, Coke, really go go wild on a Friday night. Yeah, Here's the deal: have the, not even caffeine free. Like have the real stuff. You know, the the uh, the leaded version, whatever you want to do. Yes. But that doesn't mean that we have to bend over backwards here and say, okay, the Pistons have turned the corner as a franchise. Come on. No, um, I think there are a couple points to emphasize here. Point number one is that nobody in the world needs Ben Golliver's validation. And it's something we all need to remember every day of our lives. But number two, uh, I do think there's a trap that we can sometimes fall into on the NBA internet um, where, for better or worse, you and I are sort of like permanent occupants. Um, I think sometimes we can look at teams who are good and and find ourselves being like all right so where does it lead like how does this team contend and we don't actually just talk about whether they're good and whether they're fun to watch now and with Blake and Andre Drummond those two guys are really good not super fun to watch right now in part because their their fit is just weird together and that was true at the like when they traded for him um and so like i understand why you're just like all right i don't really care about the pistons but if you would watch the pistons the last few years i do think you would be like all right so this is a significant step up um no i can uh, for sure but i think the point is like if you're a pacers fan you have more of a grievance about you and me overlooking them and their level of success than pistons fans do right because sure. they've actually been a lot better. They've been clearly better than 500. They've hung on here in very impressive fashion after Oladipo's injury. Nate McMillan deserves to be in that coach of the year conversation. Like those are when I when I hear from Pacers fans saying, "Hey, you're snubbing us. Don't just focus on the top three teams." I take those concerns and you know it, they they hurt me in the heart. Right? It's like, yeah, you know what? Well, you're right. We are overlooking them. We should be giving them a little bit more love. I have no problem. I mean, Ben can call me every swear word in the book, Andrew. I have no problem. <laughs> overlooking the Detroit Pistons. Well, and I can get behind uh, overlooking the Brooklyn Nets or at least coming to an agreement that that team is not actually good. They are consistently fun to watch because almost every game they play comes down to the final minute and D'Angelo Russell doing crazy shit. And like I, I, I do like watching them, but they're not a good team. Um, and yeah, beyond that, I, I the... Only other thing we should add here is Detroit Bad Boys tweeted, I'd like to dedicate today's Pistons victory over the Raptors to the open floor globe, Andrew Sharp, and especially Ben Golliver. That was a perfect resolution to a weekend of angry Pistons emails. No, it was. You know, it's a it's a victory lap in March for a team that that's probably going to be the highlight of their season, right? Oh, I mean, come on. You don't have to take <laughs> that dickish turn of, all right, no, let's but finish for real, off though. here. Because they're excited that they swept Toronto, right? And they may yeah. face Toronto in the playoffs, right? Or maybe they're going to get Philly. I guess it depends. If you're either one of those teams, do you fear Detroit? And that's like my the fundamental question here. I'm asking myself, okay, like how seriously do I have to give these guys credit? For Indiana, I do think they deserve more credit because we haven't talked about them at all. 
they could spring an upset in the first round. I'm not going to be predicting it. No, but that is with stop. It's within the realm of possibility. Do you see Detroit doing that? They have a better chance of giant hypocrite. All right, look, the Indiana Pacers are not going to pull off an upset in the first round if you give them a hundred tries. They have padded their schedule against a bunch of okay. crappy teams okay. the second half of the season. So, you. But if that's true about them, how is that also not true about Detroit? And if you're going to say all those same words that you said about Detroit, you're right here with me getting cussed out by Ben because that's exactly what's my point in the first place. No, Detroit was starting from a far more depressing place than the Pacers, okay? The, the Detroit was coming from like wow. truly one of the saddest situations in the league where you looked at them playing in front of an empty stadium. Reggie Jackson was going 8 for 25 every night, and they were losing 50 games a season. And it was like, whoa, like how did this get so dark? Whereas now you look up and like Blake is playing great, Andre Drummond's playing great. Top to bottom on that so in that rotation, you, like they got Langston Galloway, Wayne Ellington. They got a lot of guys I like to watch. You don't think it was depressing when Oladipo goes down for the season and everyone's writing your entire team off, like immediately, giving you no shot whatsoever? I mean, yeah, body of work saying, wise, pain wise, I think Pacers fans have been through plenty. The Paul George thing, I'm sure that hurt. Um, I'd rather live in Michigan than Indiana, personally. I'm sure that hurts. I'm just, I just think that they have more of a case, not only that we snubbed them, but that they could win a first-round series than a team like Detroit does. That's my only point. I don't believe that, honestly. I think that Detroit will steal more games in their first-round playoff series than the Pacers will from anybody. I th- and It's no shot at the Pacers. They just don't really have the horses and I think that they have that some of this success has been a little bit fake, um, and the schedules are get about to get pretty real for them down the stretch here. But look, I mean, anything can happen. I could be proven completely wrong here, but I do think that it's funny. We both have different blind spots on this one. I, I feel bad for Pistons fans, and I guess you feel bad for Pacers fans. Neither one of those teams are very good. And we don't really feel that bad for him. But what's your blind spot exactly? Like, I, I still don't understand. Other than you like Wayne Ellington, what? what why are you excited that. about Detroit? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there you go. That's the generic praise that Ben was seeking, uh, you know, last week. And by the way, I was able to make up with him by email. You know, we had a nice exchange. We buried the hatchet. I'm, I'm going to let some of the profanity slide off my back, Andrew. Um, and we're going to we're going to move forward. Okay, well, and I just can't believe you sit there after blasting the Pistons and want to just, like, sit there with a straight face and tell me that the Pacers are a potential dark horse in the first round of the playoffs. Like, get out of here, that team. Um, but moving on. All I on, said was they had a better shot than the, the Pistons to win a series. That's okay. not saying much because clearly I don't respect the Pistons that much, yes. right? So from 0% okay, to 2%. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're, you're, t- you're taller than a caterpillar. Congratulations. Yeah. Are you with me, though? The Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be really, really fun once you get past that first round. Yeah, once you eliminate six teams, it's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) No. Once you get to the semis, man, it's going to get real. Um, All right. Let's end there. And uh, speaking of ending, though, we did get a number of emails. And here's one from Abdul who says... Big, big, big shout out to Andrews. How long were we talking? Fuck. At the end of last week's episode, 
really a perfect cherry on top. Um, Ben, do you want to tell people what happened with last week's episode? Look, it's pretty convoluted. First of all, I want to apologize to Elizabeth personally. I'm not sure if she doesn't listen all the way to the end of the episodes, Andrew, and our other anti-profanity listeners, but we got a lot of emails. Some of them thought it was hilarious like Abdul. Some people were like, come on, guys, you've got to do a better editing job. Basically, what happened was we were trying to set you up on a new system for recording so that the audio quality would be better. Um, yep. by, by virtue of doing that, we basically screwed up where you look to see how long we're talking for. And you're the only one in charge of these conversations. Frankly, if you'd never told me to stop, I would be still talking from last week's episode right now. I would just keep going for 72 hours straight, um, Energizer Bunny style. So it's good that you're usually in charge of the time, but for whatever reason, the new setup threw you off. On top of that, the new setup also basically crashed your computer and nearly lost the entire episode. <laughs> and there is no, first of all, there's no better feeling than filing a story that you're proud of. But uh-huh. there is no worse feeling than losing a podcast that you're proud of. And that was actually, not to pat ourselves on the back, that was a pretty good podcast last week. You know, German marks. I mean, we really covered a lot of territory. Sure. And to lose 90 minutes of our lives to just absolutely nothing would have completely wrecked us emotionally. And I believe that's what you were swearing about, right? Well, so here's what happened, okay? I downloaded this new program that I was already a little uneasy about trying And then for whatever reason, I was looking at the program and I thought we were making really good time because it marked us at like an hour and 10 minutes. And I was like, wow, like we're keeping things pretty tight today. Nice. Um, Turns out (laughs) that the program was not recording like long chunks of my audio for some reason. So that's why it said we were tighter than I realized. And so... We finished the podcast and I looked down at my phone and saw that I had spent the last hour and 45 minutes on the phone with Ben. And that's when I just let out the instinctive fuck. Um, And I will say that we did catch it before producing or before publishing and we just told our producer to leave it in, or at least I did, because I thought yeah. it was Th- pretty Thanks funny. for that catch. I mean, you're trying to do that whole we thing where you've got the mouse in your pocket. <laughs> you said to leave it in. Of course, I wanted it bleeped out. I was so excited when you told me like three weeks ago that you were no longer going to swear on the episodes, but that lasted for about 16 minutes. We've tried. Minutes. We've tried. And uh, honestly, I left it in almost as a test to see how many people would listen to like the very end of an hour and 35 minute podcast. And um, a surprising number of people caught it. So it was in a weird way heartening to see all the people reaching out to tell us about the end of last week's episode. Um, yeah, I, I feel like if you listen in the car, you're more likely to, to have heard it because you don't always like queue up the next one when you're driving right. or whatever, you know? So I do think it, that it segments our listenership a little bit. But look, don't feel bad if you didn't listen to the end. But just bottom line is, listeners, if you want to be real diehard members of the Open Floor Globe, <laughs> listen to every second because Andrew's out here just sprinkling Easter eggs in at any given moment. There you go. Well, on that note, Ben, uh, uh, by the way, I did think about adding that in as a permanent sign off from us because I do kind of <laughs> feel like that after every episode we do. Like, God, how long did we do this? How long? How many years have we been doing this? Um, but for now, we're going to keep it clean. We're going to keep it to an Instagram plug from Ben and our email address. 
And I will talk to you later in the week. Do your thing. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Please send us all questions, comments, concerns, pistons takes, pacers takes. We want all of it. Send it to us, please. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts at Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page. Scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. Leave us some nice words. We really appreciate it. If you're listening to the end of the podcast like you're supposed to, Andrew... You're going to go to Apple Podcasts right now and do that for us. It's a very simple request. We don't ask much of you. Check me out on Instagram at Ben.Golliver. The long-awaited latest lantern is going to be going up within the next probably 36 hours. Well, look, I mean, our LinkedIn sponsors, everybody else is just so just dying for it, Andrew. They're, they're we bending do. over no, and We've excited. gotten a number of angry emails from LinkedIn asking where the lantern has been in the last few weeks. It's amazing how focused our marketing department is on it, Andrew. And uh, also, we're on the world-famous radio.com slash open floor. Until later this week, Andrew, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy.